Please sit comfortably. Good evening, everyone on screen and in the room. Um, I've had this book on my in my library for quite a number of years, and I just randomly picked it up today, and it brought some memories back. Uh, it's called The Light of Sin in the West, um, which is two, actually two books, The Supreme Doctrine and The Realisation of the Self, and they're written by um, Hubert Benoit, who lived from 1904 to 1992. And uh, he's someone who is a very interesting character because he, he was not within the tradition. Um, sometimes people just stumble along, well, I wouldn't say stumble, but they come across the same realisations that we do um, in formal Zen practice and, um, and have some awakening. Um, and then he understood there was a resonance with his experience with what we teach in Zen, and he wrote two books about it on Zen. And uh, he, he was uh, uh, a doctor, I think a, a surgeon, and he was uh, severely injured during one of the wars, Second First World War, Second World War. And he had to lie on his back for about a year or two where he couldn't move because of his injury. And, um, and it was through that experience he kind of did the equivalent of Zazen, you know, for lying down Zazen for two years, right? No choice. But instead of daydreaming, going back into his default mode network, etc., you know, um, being angry as to why he was injured and why it happened to me or whatever, he, he used the time. And, and he, he said he just experienced, um, he just was there with the experience of lying on this, what he called the icy couch, which is one of the titles of one of Joko's chapters in her book. So just the experience of, of lying there on the bed, just that, nothing, nothing more than that. He just experienced it for moment after moment and after moment. And something shifted in his mind through doing that, where he had some very, um, you know, um, significant experience of the just the suchness of life, life as it is. And this was a book which um, Joko picked up, and she read it over and over and over again until it was all falling apart. The pages were falling out; it was all thumbed and so on. Um, but you can see um, the influence of, of this book in um, a lot of her, her writing. Um, so to follow, just follow through the story about him, he was a, um, um, a surgeon, but through his injury, he couldn't practice um, surgery anymore. So he retrained to become a psychiatrist and, and uh, continued his, his career as a psychiatrist. I'm sure he was a very interesting one with that background. Um, but it brings to mind, um, I remember having a conversation with one of um, Joko's students who was a friend of mine when Joko used to go to Brisbane many years ago to the Brisbane Zen group. And she said she had a, a telephone Dyson with um, Joko one day and she asked Joko, um, what is enlightenment? And Joko's response is, enlightenment is when life can no longer humiliate you. An interesting response. Mm -hmm. And it actually comes from this book. And, um, and his, his last chapter 
in this book is is the, the importance of, of humiliation and understanding humiliation. And by that he means that we just live in life as it is. So we, we live in this wondrous Buddha nature. Everything is a manifestation of Buddha nature, as Torres Zenji wrote in what we recited tonight. But we kind of don't really see it, you know. And what we're doing instead, because we've got this sort of ego identity, we kind of think we've got potency or power to to um, shape the world in the way we want it to be, you know, the things that we want and how we want it to happen and so on. And so we get, instead of just seeing things as they are, he said that we live in this imaginary film in our, in our head and that's what we relate to rather than life as it is. And Zen practice is about seeing through that, that film. Mm-hmm. And um, so he, 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 he talks about us um, always wanting to get somewhere. We're trying to get up, you know, upwards and onwards, you know, making progress, things that are good for me to do. And uh, sometimes that happens, but a lot of the time in life every day, um, it doesn't work out that way. And so we feel disempowered, you know, disenfranchised in some way, or impotent is the word he used. I like the word disempowered. Um, And if we're willing to turn up to experience our disempowerment, call it humiliation if you want to, if we're willing to the disappointment, the disempowerment, we can't actually change the way things are. They're just happening the way they are. That, in a sense, is, is humiliation or humility. But what he says about it is that in a, in a way you can't make the the practice of humility into a into a way, right? Because if you then if you try to be humble, you, then you're trying to be humble. You're not actually humble. You're trying to be humble. So it's like you've set it up as a another ideal that your imaginary self wants to live up to. Oh yeah, I'll do that and then I'll become enlightened, right? It kind of it doesn't work that way. It's sort of it's too stylized. It's one step removed. But where you are, where you are practicing humility, and it happens every day, um, is that life doesn't doesn't turn out the way you expect it to turn out, moment to moment, little ways, big ways, and it's a matter of just being present to that. It's like acknowledging the disempowerment and being and the disappointment and just being present with it as an experience. And then life then kind of starts to teach us. And that expression in the practice principles um, is that, um, that that life is the teacher, the only teacher. It really comes from the words come from this book. It can, can come from many sources, but you can see it most accurately coming from this book that Joko read over and over again. When, when, we, when we surrender to life as it is, whether it fits my um, ego desire or not, that, that's practice right there. But we, we often don't do that when life is not giving us what we want. We, instead of staying with the humiliation or the, the disappointment, we, we get angry, you know, and try to change it or we work really hard to change it. You know, or we or we break the precepts, as Jogo said. You know, we, we instead of just staying with that initial experience, we, it's too uncomfortable. We want to move around it. And as she used to emphasise so much 
um, in her teachings over and over again. That that's our, our best teacher right there, right? Um, and in a sense, if I refine the words, li- life never humiliates us. We don't get humiliated by life. Right? Um, it's not life humiliating us. What what he says. It's the clashing of life as it is coming up against our expectations. That's, that's what humiliates us. Right? Um, so we, we drop our expectations, we drop all of our imagined projections onto life and we just turn up to it as it is. And then life can no longer humiliate you. And um, as, as some of you do uh, koan practice as well, um, you, you may notice that koans have a wonderful way of humiliating you as well. Uh, I've experienced it myself, I know. And um, that's what's wonderful about it. It's not just finding the answers to puzzling questions. It's the, the process. Because um, a lot of us, you know, are reasonably well ed- educated and we think we're reasonably bright and can problem solve. And then you're given this question that you can't solve, right? And it's kind of humiliating. Well, you can either just give it up at that point or you can continue to be humiliated. Um, um, But if you follow the process through, through, like I said, I think, in the Dharma talk last Sunday and to someone tonight, is that a wise person is a fool who persists in their folly. And we're we're all doing that in thing practice. So, to apply this in everyday life, whenever you find your life is not giving you what you expected and you're disappointed or you're you're, you're disempowered, um, there's the teacher right there. You don't have to look anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And if you stay with that, something starts to dissolve. Mm 